This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Welcome to episode 60. Now, on page six and seven, we get a little flashback of uh, Dick Grayson talking about when he was Robin going up against Two-Face. And I don't know. I tried looking for it. Does anybody know if this is from an actual issue from like the 50s or 60s? Or is this all from Dixon's uh, imagination? Yeah, I doubt it. I don't. I mm-hmm. think it's probably just, you know, because back then continuity wasn't really there. He was like, oh, here's this issue and, and the next issue. Like, I don't know if it they're pulling from it so much as creating a new backstory you know yeah and did anybody feel like it was a little batman foreverish ending with the two standing there or <laughs> oh man it's true <laughs> I know, it's just, yeah. yeah i was kind of uh, and then also too on page seven the way two-face is acting I, I don't like this version of two-face i like the animated series like big bad harv him rolling on the floor and doing all this is it, it just to me is not in character how i see it and i almost feel like it is like someone showed this to tommy lee jones and he was like okay so that's how i play it you know but um <laughs> ryan, uh, ryan uh, what'd you think of uh these two pages here or anything well it's it's interesting because i do kind of i did kind of think like because although past continuity doesn't show up a whole lot this issue is kind of all about that and it's weird if it wasn't shown somewhere else because we see lonely place of dying and we see like jason todd's origin in here and chuck dixon is no stranger to pulling obscure people from past continuities and actually honoring them you know we saw that in shotgun smith so i kind of wonder if it, it was original or not but but uh yeah rob what do you think i liked it i it made me lean more like where ryan is like this is probably something just I think just because it's Chuck, because everything else is so faithful, probably take some homework trying to figure it out. But at the same breath, I wouldn't be surprised if it's if this is just something that Dixon just came up with on his own. But I kind of want to believe this is a classic Two Face story. I actually try to look this up. The this Two Face scenario. This might even make this issue better for you guys. I don't know. This Two Face scenario is in another comic book. It's Ooh, uh, it's, in, it's in Robin Year One. Okay. Oh. Oh. Yep. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And it's done a little bit differently, but it, it is pretty much this same scenario where he's got both Batman and 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 the other district attorney, and he makes Robin choose who goes. And yeah, it's the same same deal. And that was an annual, right? Hmm. I think it's a standalone. Oh, okay. No, this is the Robin Year One story that they just recently compiled with the Batgirl. Year yeah, one. and didn't okay. Dixon write that as well? just out of my reach because i know one year dc every annual was a year one yeah Yeah. this is not that okay no this is before that yeah this is chuck dixon and and scott scott Beatty. yeah oh is it okay okay oh i remember yeah Yeah, i like that lime green cover 
that's on it where you think you just see his eyes. Yeah, it's like well, yeah. Was it a was it a um, one shot? Or it's like four a, issues. Oh. It's a four issue huh. miniseries, and it get and it got um, collected. But what's it, what's interesting about this is it's I believe it came out quite a bit after this. It, the Wikipedia says it came out in two thousand one. So oh, I wonder if, I wonder he, if he, he retold like, one of the retail really wanted to tell this story in full. Oh, cool! Kind of, yeah, that makes sense. That's actually that actually is cool. If he does, if he's like, oh, you know, I kind of set that up a few years yeah. back. Let me, yeah, I'm gonna, and I haven't read that story. I'll give it a shot. I think I've got it laying around somewhere. Cool. cool. I gotta, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> You don't like the Drake. I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. Do you like the Drake? I love the Drake. What about the Drake? Screw the Drake. I love the Drake. This is Cam Bowen, voice of Tim Drake on Young Justice, and you're listening to Everyone Loves the Drake. Hi, this is James Heinen IV, and I love the Drake. This is George Perez, and everybody likes the Drake, especially the cakes. Hi, this is Mark Wolfman, and everyone loves the Drake. Hi, this is Marcus Toe, artist for Red Robin. You've been listening to Robin, Everybody Loves the Drake podcast. Good for them. Love the Drake. <laughs> Got to love the Drake. I'm impressed. What can I say? I'm irresistible. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake comic podcast. I'm your host, Rob Myers. Welcome to episode 127. This show is brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. Your home for uh, your home for all things Batman and Robin. It's been a long year, folks. Who is You're celebrating 80 years? I'm going to record that. Yeah, we didn't record. It's it's your home for blah. <laughs> it's your home for uh, it's it's the guy that wears the mask and goes out and punches dirty turkeys in the throat like Kevin Smith would say. <laughs> but this is going to conclude our 80th anniversary. Uh, way back in January, I had said, "Hey, I'm going to try and do every other episode," and we even did a promo. And Terrence was like, "If Rob can keep the every other episode," and I think I managed to. I don't know if it went every other episode was. You know, continuity and then whatever our guests picked, but it was pretty darn close. So we're on the Batman Universe Podcast Network, and we're also associated with Batman on Films Podcast Network at BatmanPodcastNetwork.com. So between two universes, you can find us. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Everyone Loves a Drake. We are on Twitter at ELTD Podcast. You can check out our Instagram page. You can email into the show at RobinELTDPodcast at Yahoo.com. And there's a YouTube page that we use sparingly but it is out there. And if you listen to the show on iTunes, especially through Apple Podcasts, leave a review of the show, and in the new year, I promise we will start reading some reviews. So, like I said, I'm Rob, and it is early in the morning at the Drake House. Normally, we're an evening kind of people, but I figure since this is our Christmas episode, I made Terrence and Ryan get up extra early so we could unwrap <laughs> this Christmas present for, <laughs> for you guys. So, Terrence, how are you doing the... This morning, sir. Very confused. I can explain later, but very confused. Yes. And I'm, no. I'm wearing a, a hat. So if I disappear in this podcast, you know the Mad Hatter got me. 
Yeah. No, there you go. <laughs> and Brian, how are you doing this morning? Uh, I have no hat, so I think I'm doing a little bit better than Terrence. I've, it is the morning. I've become more of a morning person this year. I actually started drinking coffee this year, actually. And ah. boy, that was a good decision based on uh, where the year's gone since then. But <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm very excited to talk about this book today. Yeah, so we're not going to bury the lead. And I actually had just finished a cup of coffee because I woke up a little bit extra early to uh, finish this book. Me too. <laughs> this was something, and Rob's going to insert uh, the episode number. Episode 60. We had been going through Tim's chronological escapades as we have and we got to the zero issue of Robin and it was a team up story between uh, Dick and Tim and Dick tells this story of the first time that he had met Two-Face and had to make a choice and took a severe beating to allow Batman to escape so like we normally do as one of us is talking usually somebody's going through like hey this sounds like something that I think I might have read before it could be something else so this little nugget that Chuck Dixon had wrote. The cover date is October 1994 for the Zero issue. So in the year 2000, Chuck Dixon took this little nugget of an idea that he had in October of 2000. He and Scott Beatty turned this into Robin Year One. So I had said to Terrence and Ryan, like, hey, this is kind of my idea. It helps, you know, celebrate. It puts the capper on the 80th anniversary of Robin. And we'll just kind of call it our Christmas episode as well, since it'll be the last episode of the month. And little did I know, as I'm reading this book for the first time, that wouldn't you know it, we're kind of in a holiday season. They don't necessarily mention Christmas, but a certain cold character appears in the book. And I'm like... Well, you know what? That that counts. I saw snow. I saw ice. And so here we are at Robin year one. So what I was reading this out of was the collected trade Batgirl and Robin year one, because the duo also re- got together and did a Batgirl year one story as well. So I'm not sure if Stella, who our last guest was on the show, if she's covered it or not, but that might be uh, something to track down Batgirl to Oracle. So before we get into this, I want to say a big thank you to everybody that had participated in the 80th anniversary celebration for Robin. So there'll be an insert that will appear right here. Hey, it's Rob here. I wanted to take a brief moment to acknowledge all the people that helped us celebrate Robin's 80th anniversary. I had a long list of people and I had more people say yes than what I had time slots available. So to everybody else where we were trying to juggle schedules, I want to reconvene and get you on to talk about Robin in some fashion. But the people that I was able to give on, I want to give a another shout out again to all these individuals and let you know their episode numbers and what they talked about. So you're like, hey, I missed one here or there. Mike Staley led the first one off, and we did a commentary track for Young Justice Season 2, Episode 8, and that was Episode 107. Terrence, Ryan, and myself did the Robin 80th Anniversary Spectacular issue, and that was Episode 109. 
Marcus Toe, our big interview for the year. So happy he agreed to be on the show. He talked about all things Red Robin and hockey and everything else. Go back, check that episode out. That was 110. Professor Alan Middleton, thank you, sir, for coming on to the show. He talked about detention comics, and that was episode 112. Clinton Robinson, the coffee maestro himself, came on episode 114 and talked about Showcase 93 issues 11 and 12. Uh, Sean Ross came on episode 117 and talked about Robin Annual 6, and that was just a fun issue that I had never read before and one that I'm going to continue to read because it was just so darn good. Siskoid came on, first time speaking with him. He actually picked the oldest comic to review. Uh, That original date for that comic was 1949 from Star Spangled Comics, and uh, his episode number is 119. Jay Oz, a good friend of the show and podcasting partner on Everyone Loves Young Justice, he came on and did a commentary track with Ryan and I for Batman 66 episode Surf's Up, Joker's High, I think I believe is the episode. <laughs> it's blanking on me right now, but that was a fun episode, and that was episode 121. Javi Trujillo came on and did two items, a commentary track for Batman the Animated Series Old Wounds, actually technically the new Batman Adventures, and then before that we did Batman issue 416, and the two paired really well together. That was episode 123. Ryan Lauer spelled like lower from the amazing Batman book club. He he came on and did a Batman the Animated Series commentary track for Robin's Reckoning. That was episode 125. The lovely, fantastic Stella, who you just recently heard, released her 200th episode and her 11-year anniversary. And she came on just last week and talked about Batman and Robin issue 3, Batgirl issue 17, Batman and Robin issue 8, and Gotham Academy issue 8. And that was episode 126. And I'm including this last one. It wasn't an 80th anniversary celebration. It was also the first time that the Drake was part of the J.L. May crossover. So we had Justin Kowalski on, and that was episode 113. And we fast-forwarded, rather, into the future and talked about Robin issues 143 and 145. That was a fun episode to do. So thank you to everyone that participated. Again, those that I missed and we just didn't get our schedules lined up, I do want to have you on in the next year. All right, so now let's get back to our Christmas episode. Thank you again, everyone. So there was a list of everybody that had participated. So again, a big thank you. So Robin, year one, I want to ask each of you guys, let's start with Ryan first. Had you read this before we were talking about doing this or did you read it shortly after we said, hey, this might be, you know, is this a real story that uh, Chuck Dixon wrote? I only read it in my mind. And if, if you've already put that clip from that earlier episode, you, you read that yeah. that zero year Robin issue and you're like... Boy, this does say, seem familiar because, as we've ha- discovered, as we've gone through Tim Drake's Robin escapades, like you said, Two Face jumps up in a lot. Like, there's a lot mm-hmm. of Two Face and Robin interactions, and we've come to discover that you know, even talking to Chuck Dixon as he's writing all these books, that he's obviously a pretty big fan of Two Face and enjoys the the two puns and the ha- having him play off of the the Batman and Robin dynamic of oh there's two crime fighters and and then later on with Tim Drake it's like oh there's two Robins or there <laughs> there's two people like this at once um 
So I know I had not read Robin Year One uh, all the way through. I think I had maybe one or two of the single issues, but it was just you know a perennial like, oh, maybe if I find the others in the store in the shop or something or a cheap trade, I'll find it. But I hadn't read it. And then um, I think, what was it, maybe last year or the year before even, they, DC released that really nice mm, Robin Hood yeah. 1 Deluxe Edition hardcover. And I did buy it because I was like, okay, that looks gorgeous and that'll be a good excuse to read. I'm sure we'll podcast about it at some point. And so <laughs> so bringing it up for this show was obviously the, the, the excuse to pull that off the shelf and, uh, and give it a read. And boy, it's a good one. Terrence, where were you on the uh, year one? Did you read it before this, or is this the first time? This is why I said in the beginning I was very confused, because when you said we were doing Robin year one, I was like, oh, I've read this before, and I don't really like it. But then I started reading it last night. I know I'm a slacker. I'm like, this is, I've never read this before. What is this, and what did I think I read before? So apparently there was a, a another series that came out called Batman and Robin the Gauntlet, which mm. is kind of very similar. It's different art and writing team. It's kind of a similar style set in the same time period. And I had read that and thought it was Robin year one, I guess in the weirdness that is my brain. I don't know if they maybe released them together as a trade paperback. Probably not. Anyway, so I started reading it last night for the first time. Didn't really know much about it and uh, thought it was great. So your question, was it on my radar? Nope, never read it before. Knew about it, just never got to it. It's kind of intimidating because it is in the prestige format. Mm. So the back issues are always a little bit more and it is a a much larger size collected trade paperback. So yeah, just but I'm glad I did because it was really good. And I want to make sure I get the artist's name right here because I'm looking at uh, Javier I want to say Paludo Pludio, if I'm saying that right. His art style seems to really mimic uh, Batman Year One a little bit. Like Batman's kind of drawn that well, way. It's, but like it a, all... it's like a Batman Year One, Darwin Cook kind yeah. of combination. So it kind of feels like it fits right in there. I mean, not so much like Year One, but you, you're right. It's more like uh, Darwin Cook. And it also has like that dark victory kind of vibe yeah, to it. Yeah. Uh, uh, at a couple places. It's very simplified. Like there's a lot of panels where there's just nothing in the background. Yeah. It's just a solid color. Yeah. Which I mean, it, it makes the reading of it where not that I don't want to read more, but as thick as this was for the show, I was like, Oh good. We get some action scenes and it would go through a couple pages. So it made it go a little quicker. But I think even just as the four issues go, I found myself not having to like slog through it. It was, it was a pretty easy read so if you haven't checked this out definitely go do so especially considering that there's two writers uh, yeah there's not a lot of dialogue and there's sections where there's hardly any dialogue you can just like go through a few pages really fast yeah and that was the interesting thing that uh i I would assume dixon you mean fluid it's fluid yeah (laughs) and (laughs) it's hard like sometimes you know we'll complain about uh well complain or you discuss about having two different artists on a book and we've done that you know a couple times where it's just really jarring but i half wonder if Beatty might not have been the lion writer of the book and dixon was more of like the plotter like here's the ideas or if they did you know work in tandem like you do book two i'll do book you know 
four or whatever, something like that. So I thought it was interesting because I you don't see Dixon as a writing team very often. Right. But it must have worked well because they did. I think was it Robin Batgirl Year One or something like that. Like it's a team up book. Oh, do they team up it. for that as well? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. okay. I've I've got the trade here and they're both listed. It's the yeah. Batgirl Robin Year One yeah. trade. I'm both- really I'm really interested in in reading Batgirl Year One after this. You know I think exposure wise I believe. Back when DC Daily was a thing, they they did review shows on both Robin and Batgirl Year One. They definitely did Batgirl Year One, and yeah. they and I think when they talked about it, they said I think they thought Robin Year One was the better book, just because Batgirl Year as as long as we're saying Robin Year One feels or dense. I believe they said Batgirl Year One is like eight issues. It was like a lot longer, um, yeah. and they thought that it kind of went. Um, it was maybe too long, a little less focused feeling than Robin Year One, but they definitely I still did really Robin want to Year One. It. Oh, sorry, yeah. they definitely did Robin Year One because I watched it last night. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> nice. So let's just take a look at uh, Robin Year One, Volume One, or you know, Book One in this case came out October two thousand. The synopsis is coming to us by DCFandom.com, and now Book One for Robin Year One. The Devious Two-Face is interested in the recent reports that Batman now has a teenage sidekick. Indeed, Bruce Wayne has taken young Dick Grayson under his tutelage as Robin, the boy wonder. Alfred Pennyworth is unsure of the inclusion of Dick Grayson into Batman's nightly adventures that might end up in disaster. But the butler cannot deny the positive influence the light-hearted boy has on his master, Bruce Wayne. After attending a dinner party for Generalissimo Lee of a foreign country I cannot pronounce, Batman and Robin meet Captain James Gordon, who informs them that a string of kidnappings is taking place in and about Bristol Township. Behind these kidnappings is actually the Mad Hatter, who has been enticing teenage girls with free headsets. His hat transmits a broadcast signal to these headsets that enables him to hypnotize his captives. His plan is to sell the captive girls to Generalissimo Lee. When one of the captive victims turns out to be a girl from Robin's school, the boy wonder attempts to solve the case on his own. After school, Dick watches how the Mad Hatter kidnaps another girl. Because as Bruce is attending another party that night, this time on the yacht of the Generalissimo, Robin decides to stop the villain on his own. With little support from Alfred, Dick finds out that the Mad Hatter is delivering the girls to Generalissimo on his yacht. Robin enters the yacht, fights through a horde of goons, rescues the girls, and exposes the Mad Hatter's plot. The general uses his diplomatic immunity to get away, though. Bruce is at first angry with Dick for going at the Mad Hatter alone, but is still proud of his accomplishments. So now that we're on the other side of it, what was your first initial, let's just look at a book one as a whole, as a, no surprise, if you look at the first cover of this, the Mad Hatter is the lead villain. And there's an overarching story throughout the whole thing. So what did you guys think of the inclusion of Mad Hatter as our first real like main main foil for Robin and Batman. We'll say Robin and Batman in this case, since this is Dick Grayson's first, we're in that first year. And they, uh, the notes that I kind of see here on DC fandom, that uh, there are some flashbacks of Tony Zuko's death taken from directly from dark victory, which I did not realize till after mm. I was kind of going through the book. And this is, although this is a year one tale in Robin's career takes place during the year three era of Batman's career. So Ryan, what did you think of uh, Mad Hatter and just some of the, your, maybe your, your high points of uh, this issue? So, I mean, 
it, this the first issue does a whole lot to kind of set the stage and tone and all these things for this story. I was impressed pretty quickly that the book doesn't really retread any like Batman history mm. or or even much Robin origin stuff. Like they don't do like, oh, here's the circus and here's the parents dying and here's the oath and here's all that. Yeah. They don't do any of that stuff. It's like Robin Year One, so you might assume like, oh, it's all it's just the origin based off of you know, what Batman Year One is. Kind of. I mean, Batman Year One is, is kind of that same, like, slightly after the origin, but there's a lot of elements. Yeah. But I was impressed that, like, this is like, no, this is after he's Robin, and this is early on in the career. So that was really impressive. And again, that you don't really see that much, that that whole heck of a lot of stories based in this time period either. So that combined with the the writing and the art, I was just really impressed right off the bat uh-huh. and uh <laughs> and the thing about the art you know just to in general to talk about the art for a second the art in this book is just com- absolutely gorgeous oh yeah the, the, it's the right style it's the right combination of like you know you can read this after dark victory it's like it is it is like tim sale ish stylized mm-hmm. colors in terms of like the simplification of things but obviously is a lot more close to like the darwin cook type type of thing but that's like a really cool it's almost like um if you look at if you kind of think of the Loeb sale stories as like a contemporary reinterpretation of like early years batman Mm. you know like from the 30s you get into a book like this where it feels like it's it's very timeless feeling but the art really evokes like this like mid late 40s early 50s kind of style in terms of like what the characters are wearing clothes wise you get like the 50s batmobile and stuff yeah, like that yeah. but it's still but it doesn't feel super old fashioned because there's also there's things in it like you know telephones and <laughs> stuff like that and technology of course but it's one of those things where it's like oh if you read just modern batman this feels like an older flashback story. If yeah. you do something like read that, if you read that old newer zero hour year issue yeah. and then as a present and then go back and read this, it would be really cool because it would feel like throwback, like a flashback or whatever. It's really cool. And I think just, the, well, we, we'll get into overall thoughts at the end, but, but yeah, this first issue is really great. And the Mad Hatter is a really interesting villain. I think to put up against Robin, it kind of sets the stage for what Robin and Dick Grayson does. And I almost said Tim Drake, what Dick <laughs> Grayson do in this whole book is he continually is going out on his own, trying to prove himself and taking on these like Batman villains by himself. <laughs> and that's like the running theme in the whole thing. And this is a really creepy interpretation of the of the Mad Hatter, yeah, like yeah. what he, the way he talks, what he does, how he operates. I mean. He's not obviously not the the main big bad of the whole book, but the way he gets in, implemented into the story is uh, is really effective, and I you know again you don't really see Mad Hatter a whole heck of a lot, and uh, man it's really he's he's a really good adversary for uh, Dick Grayson early on here. Uh, Terrence, what do you have for uh, the Mad Hatter and just like the overall feel uh, of the book? 
Yeah, generally I'm not really a big Mad Hatter fan, and uh, I was having flashbacks to that, was it the Dark Knight series that came out right yes. before New 52, yeah. where it was yep. all Mad Winter, Hatter, and I think yeah. it was New 52, and I was just like, not my favorite. But in this case, I thought it worked really well, because he was more villainous than obnoxious, and mm. it was a good villain for Robin to go up against, because he was kidnapping you know, young girls that are around the same age as Robin. So it kind of is in his wheelhouse. One of them turns out to be a girl that, you know, Robin or Dick is going to school with that he was kind of flirting with a little bit or, and, or kind of catching her eye and she was catching his eye. So it made it kind of personal. And then, you know, when Robin, you know, has to go up against, you know, the Mad Hatter, you're not thinking like, oh, well, this is, you know, some gigantic, you know, monster that there's no way he could beat him up or some, you know, adult. You think like, yeah, Dick could take the Mad Hatter in a fight, you know, <laughs> just don't just don't put on one of those hats and you'll be OK. So uh, actually, for someone who's not a Mad Hatter fan, I actually liked it in this story. Yeah, I was the same way with the Mad Hatter. Initially, when I opened the book, I was like, oh, it's the Mad Hatter. You know, that's, <laughs> I think that's how a lot of uh, Bat fans are kind of like with the Mad Hatter. Like, he's just kind of a, a one-note villain. It's always Alice in Wonderland, and it's some variation. But there was something that was, I think, a little bit more creepy, I think, that we've all said with, you know, he's... Probably it doesn't really say it, but is like, is he into like sex trafficking? Like he's getting all these girls. Well, that's the and- thing too. I think, and we've seen some of this in I in some of Dixon's other stories. I think is where it's it's scarier because of what you don't see. What I also liked about this as well is the progression of Dick Grayson. Like he is very much carefree. Doesn't have he and Batman are just out fighting bad guys, and there's. There's no real sense of danger for Dick that he can see. He's with Batman. He's been trained. And even just him hopping out of the car, out of the limousine at at school, and he's just very cavalier about it. And the thing I think that's really interesting, and my only only knock to the book, is Alfred's letter writing at some points, just the way that they were – you know, scripting it and having it being actual, like written in cursive at some times was kind of hard to read. I'm like, okay, what is that word? But I did like yeah. that there is another through line that you're getting a narration from Alfred at the different stages of throughout this book. So what did you guys think of, of Alfred's commentary? We could, you could talk about it as a whole throughout the whole book or just in book one here of Alfred's concerns of, essentially Batman taking out Robin at at such a a young age. Uh, Let's go with Terrence on this one. I had that trouble, too, with the words a little bit. I have that trouble with the Batman who laughs, too, sometimes with that black background Mm, with the red words, especially if it's nighttime and it's a little dark. I'm like, I can't. Everything I say has (laughs) weak meaning. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I thought it was good because, you know, you think of, I don't know. I might offend some Robin fans with this, but I think of like the quintessential Robin origin story <laughs> as Batman Forever. I don't know why. I know people are going to like yell at me for that. <laughs> but that's kind of probably the one that I've seen the most or heard the most or most people know, you know, like it just kind of has that. And in that story, I always liked how it was Alfred who was trying to encourage Bruce to be like, you know, you need to, you know, work with this guy. He makes the Robin costume for him. It was Alfred like kind of pushing it. You know, and then this is kind of the reverse, but I didn't come up with this idea, but I heard it in some of the the videos I watched last night. It might have been in DC Daily or some of the others. You know, this story is, is in a lot of ways Chuck Dixon trying to justify 
why it's okay for Batman to have a Robin because mm-hmm. on the surface taking out, you know, a little kid, you know, you know, and Batman forever he's what? Like he's supposed to be 17 but he's really 26 I think the actor, you know. <laughs> yeah. And that's not even a joke. I think we looked it up one time and we're like yeah. so so all well, it is a joke but not an you know, not an <laughs> intentional joke. You know, Robin's young in this issue. You know, he's middle school, you know, he's like 12, you know. So there's really this justification of it's okay to have a Robin because, you know, you have this voice of reason from Alfred and from Commissioner Gordon who are both like, this is ridiculous. This kid's too young. You know, if something happens to this kid, I'm going after him. Why, why did I find this bat all full of blood and now, you're not, you, <laughs> now this kid's disappeared? What, you know, what the hell's going on here? It does kind of justify it where, you know, when Robin runs away and ends up with the League of Shadows, it's like, look, you've, you've got to do this. You've got to have this kid under your wing and take him out and do this. Or something really worse is going to happen than what could happen with you. I forgot. What was the original question? Oh, Alfred. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't understand his writing either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ryan. <laughs> yeah. So even reading in the, this in the big deluxe edition, I also had trouble like reading some of this. I'm like, man, they could have... I don't know if it's compare how it compares to the other versions, original versions. I assume it's just been blown up for this book, but I'm like probably could have changed the lettering a little bit in yeah. in this version. That was a good opportunity for them because even things like Two Face, every time Two Face or even Mad Hatter talks, they have some different and and Joker uh, later on for like a, <laughs> two pages have yeah. different you know dialogue styles in the the way it's lettered. But that is literally my only critique of the whole book. Probably is that, but the writing itself is so good. And you're yeah. right, is that. Alfred is such, it serves all these different purposes for the story. It kind of connects the threads together. When it starts and you start reading and you're like, oh, what? who is this talking? You're like, oh, it's Alfred. That's cool. That's cool transitions between scenes and stuff like that. But it also does the thing of it gives weight and extra... I can't think of a good way to say this. It gives gives all this extra context. There's a good word. to, To both the dual stories and perspectives of Batman and Robin, you know, Bruce and Dick in this story because they don't really talk to each other a whole lot about what's right. going on and until things get serious. You know what I mean? So Alfred is there to kind of bring those threads together and, you know, that's what he does as a character and it's just a really good way of showing that and it also does what you guys were saying in terms of Almost being the voice of the audience, being like, "Yeah, well, we have to kind of explain the situation here with, um, you know, Batman letting a, a kid into his world like this." And not, and it doesn't get talked about just even there, but like it's part of the story. A lot of the characters talk about it, and especially yeah. Gordon. You know, that's like a big point. And then, and you get that from Leslie Tompkins and some other characters too. So, it's um, it's just part of the theme of the book, which is great because Robin, you're one. Like it's, it's, it's part of that legacy and history. It's one of those things where you could give this book to anybody at any level of Batman fandom, and if they had questions or misconceptions or or concerns about like what the character is or how he could be interpreted, like this this one addresses a lot of those things in a subtle way. 
while also being a good story. And, you, you know, those are like the, that's all the quadrants you want when you have a story like this. One thing about the Alfred narration that I like is it he talks about how it's good for Master Bruce to have Robin in his life, too. I think there's one point where he's like, I think I almost saw him crack a smile. So I, yeah. I think that insight of, you know, like, Bruce is becoming a better person and is becoming happier and more sane a little bit with having this kid in his life and is also a nice touch to the book too so one other thing with like alfred's letter i almost thought okay who is he writing this to was was the other thing like is was he in the middle of writing this to like children's services or something you, you don't find out <laughs> yeah. you know till till later on because he's like making some really points of like he's bruce is kind of pushing Dick or Dick is made to feel like this is like fun and games or he's bringing this boy into the crusade. And at times Alfred even says, and I'm paraphrasing here, that he even feels like Bruce was making the wrong choice for himself. And now he's kind of forcing these games of fancy on this young boy and there could be bigger ramifications. And one thing that I think kind of pairs with that is when they're sitting at the dinner table and I keep wanting to say Tim. (laughs) Dick sees the newspaper about his classmate. They have that discussion. And as Dick is going out to head out to school, Bruce says, you know, one more thing, stay out of trouble. And that's in quotes. And the next thing is Dick was like throwing spitballs or something like that, getting into the principal's office so he can hear. And I'm like, was that the literally quote unquote, like stay out of trouble, hint, hint, wink, wink, like, no, seriously, I want you to do something to get in trouble. So later on, is he just re-emphasizing like, of course, Dick was going to take a baseball bat to the chest because Bruce kind of inadvertently asked him to put himself in danger when he didn't. So did you guys pick up on that at all? Let's uh, start with Terrence. I did not. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'm way too deep in the morning. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's probably there, but I did not pick up on that. I just, I kind of, uh, thought it was Dick just kind of, uh, improvising, but maybe I totally missed it. (laughs) Ryan. No, that's, I took it that way, Rob. Okay. I mean, he's, he's trained by Batman. He's smart. He knows what he's doing. He's, and that's the theme of the whole book is that Dick is, it's almost like life outside of Robin is just an afterthought. And, and what Alfred mm. says is kind of this whole thing of like, you know, I'm worried that he's leaving it like a normal childhood behind and stuff because he's so driven to help people. Not ju- not really to be, well, it's kind of a proto version of Tim Drake mm, in terms yeah. of what Robin is and what his function is, or, you know, the the first person to, to realize that. I mean, we, we attribute that to Tim, to Tim Drake a lot because that's what this show is, but a lot of those elements are here in this book and with its interpretation of what Dick Grayson sees himself as doing as Robin, right? One little funny thing on the scene at the principal's office, it is Mr. N. Rooney, and it is suggested that that is Ned Rooney from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I knew that had to be a reference to something. Yeah. <laughs> so I, that was some of the little uh, little bit of extras that I uh, I found online while while surfing through. So it's one of those little nuggets that uh, Dixon puts in. So this first issue kind of wraps up with everything converging all on the same place here. The person that is doing the, I'm going to call, that wants the girls is the same 
El Presidente, lack of a better word, Mm -hmm. that Bruce is reluctantly meeting on the yacht, and everything converges on the boat that... uh, Robin infiltrates and uh, and you get a little like bumbling. I could totally hear Kevin Conroy when he's at the boat of the deck, like, "Oh, what does this button do?" And he spills the drink in, and like, yeah, "Oh, yeah, we yeah. can't go stops him from oh, going." Sorry. To- <laughs> oh, you know, international waters. So, so what did you guys think of the end of the you know resolution on this for how Tim takes down Mad Hatter and uh, how the this first issue concludes his story? Let's start with Terrence on this one. Yeah, maybe I should uh, change my answer from before for the the quintessential Robin story <laughs> origin to uh, Robin's reckoning and that nature. When you said Kevin Conroy, I thought and that I thought of the scene. I think it's in I think it's even in that one where they say, "Oh, Bruce Wayne is here at the circus," and he like stands up and he knocks his popcorn over <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, I'm so clumsy and foolish." Right? <clears throat> and so now I'm like, "Oh man, maybe maybe it's not the the nipples uh, in the movie, <laughs> but." Um, <laughs> It's since it is a four-part story, you kind of have to do something in the middle of it, or at least at the, the first part ending, that's going to cause conflict and strife, and and not have a nice, easy resolution. And I thought this was a really interesting way to do it because it shows how dedicated Dick Grayson is to helping other people, and that he's not just. You know, we this is fun. I, I it's so much fun to jump from buildings and do somersaults in the air, and I, I'm out here because it's all all so much fun. Like he really is a really good person who really would do anything, put himself in harm's way, take a beating to basically just help other people. But you can also see at the same point why Bruce Wayne would be like, you know, this is not cool, kid. You, I can't I can't allow you know a twelve <laughs> right. year old to take a beating from villains just to help people. So I thought it was a really great way to kind of really reveal each character. Yeah. So like I was saying earlier, this, what happens in this issue with Dick Grayson, Robin overcoming Mad Hatter pretty much by himself with Bruce being unable to do anything about it. It's kind of the setup for what we'll see with other villains in the rest of the story. And I thought it was really well done. I mean, it, it, it really shows the growing dichotomy and conflict that you'll see between Batman and Robin through the rest of the story. And I thought it wrapped up really well. And you could read this first issue almost standalone. And you don't even really need the rest of the book, to be honest. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, it it kind of holds up by itself, which is which is what you want in a first issue of anything, really. Especially something like this. It definitely made me eager to continue the story, knowing a little bit about where it goes. Well, let's just get right into the second issue. This came out in November of the same year, uh, same writing team and everything like that. Book two of Robin Year One. Following the Mad Hatter's arrest, Batman and Robin defeat several more would-be supervillains, such as Clue Master, Firefly, Killer Moth, and Blockbuster. Robin grows more and more confident with each victory, heedless of Batman's warnings that Gotham's more elite criminals will not be so easily beaten. True to these warnings, Two-Face soon emerges and kidnaps Lawrence Watkins, the judge who permitted and presided over the appeal trial of mobster Vincent Marooney. Since the trial gave Marooney a chance to scar Dent with acid, Two-Face's twisted logic holds Watkins responsible for murdering Dent. Revenge on Watkins, however, is only a small part of Two-Face's goal. His main target is none other than Batman and Robin. 
Despite Batman's precautions, the dynamic duo are eventually captured by Two-Face as well and forced into a mock trial. After declaring the defendants guilty, Two-Face places Batman and Watkins on a custom-built double gallows and dares Robin to appeal for their lives. A desperate Robin plays along, calling for neither man to hang if Two-Face's next two coin flips come up clean. Both flips land in Robin's favor, and Two-Face cuts Watkins free, only to reveal a trap door in a gallows that allows the judge to drown instead. As Robin reels from Watkins' death, Two-Face savagely beats Robin with a baseball bat, while Batman is forced to watch. An enraged Batman breaks his own bonds and beats Two-Face and his men unconscious before rushing the badly injured Robin back to the Batcave. The first thing that I really liked after you've had, like, that issue one of like, all right, this has kind of pulled me in. You know, it's going to be a four issue story or whatever, however long it is in any type of story is what we like to do on this show is have a nice little cold opening and something mm-hmm. that the animated series would do from time to time. You get a, a cold opening in this and it's a car chase. <laughs> it's a funny car chase with a killer moth, which ironically, and maybe not ironically that they probably planned it this way that that also ties into uh, this is a character that ties directly into Batgirl's origin being the killer moth so but I thought this was funny with chasing him and he's got the moth mobile which I thought was uh, really funny and uh, killer moth is probably right up there with other Batman villains where I go ah oh, it's just much like Mad Hatter like oh it's it's the Mad Hatter yeah. killer moth is kind of crazy enough that you almost just don't like he's meant to not be taken seriously but sometimes that's a detriment to the character when you see oh it's this is a killer moth story i don't care if it's scott snyder if it's writing the killer moth like right off the bat you might go oh it's killer moth though yeah but it's it's actually really kind of funny and again like we were talking about that uh, dick is putting himself into harm's way to save a life, even the life of somebody like Killer Moth, that he can see that the goo and the, uh, you know, uh, what is it called? The, the cocoon gun uh, has backfired and gotten <laughs> yeah. on his wings, and uh, Killer, Mo- or Killer Moth is falling to his death, which he thinks he's going to be able to fly, but doesn't. So what do you think of the cold opening of this and uh, the, uh, the Killer Moth interaction? I love cold opens, especially in, in stories like this, because it, it instead of reading it as a single issue, you're just reading it as part of the story, and it's 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 almost like a cinematic thing when you watch a movie, and oh, there's like a nice big action scene. You can kind of decompress a little bit and let the character work kind of flow through the action. <laughs> and like as we were saying, like the artwork and colors are stylized and simplified in here and it really looks just gorgeous here like in this oversized yeah. deluxe edition it re- that would be my preferred way to tell the the listeners to read this because you get these it's like the they do the whole like new batman adventures thing where it's it, when it's nighttime you got these red skies and mm. this overcast like blues and stuff on batman all these flat colors it just looks great and um, and having Killer Moth, it all, it all makes sense. And and I would have been sad it, to get through this entire book without some sort of action scene or a few scenes with Batman and Robin in the Batmobile talking. I don't know. Every time yeah. we we get a story and we get a scenes like that or episodes like that, um, if we talk about the animated series or a TV show or something, it's always fun. It's always a cool interaction. It's always a, a like a cool thing to see i don't know it just kind of always is is a batman and robin thing that i like to to read and having it be a uh 
action scene like this is interesting. And Killer Moth, yeah, I mean, here he's just used like as a goofy, like, Batman 66 type of villain that's like, oh, he's easy, like, whatever, he's kind of a goofy villain. And they even, and they do, like, call to that when <laughs> Alfred is uh, pulling the, the moth goo out of his costume and, and Dick is like, Alfred, a girl could have whipped the killer moth. And I read that, I was like, oh, that's funny. But then I thought to myself, oh, yeah, I, I haven't read Batgirl Year One, but I know that he's, like, the main villain of the whole story. So yeah. this is obviously a, not maybe a call back, but a call forward to... Yeah, yeah. Because I don't know, I don't remember exactly when Batgirl Year One was released in relation to this. Was it literally right after it or a year or two later? I, I believe so. I'll have to do some uh, quick looking here, but I'm I'm pretty sure it was... Not that long after this, it's like my like in, in my head. I'm like, well, they must he must have Dixon must have known like and Beatty must have known where. Either I don't know if the story was the next story was greenlit or or maybe they had ideas of where they were going to go with it if they did a Batgirl year one. Yeah, because spoilers, you know, you, they do very subtly introduce Barbara Gordon in, in this story too, and yeah. it's done in a really like again subtle but really cool way. So, yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, the opening of this issue was really great. Yeah. And then you get little things like in the police station, see a little shot of Clue Master and the rumors of the human bat proof false that they have this actually man bat looking <laughs> drawing on the board. And we're, I should say quickly, like we're introduced into Two-Face. So this, I think, was the big draw for the three of us to to read this story and go, okay, how does this little exposition in the Zero issue of Robin fit in? How does Dixon formulate this into a a full story? And I got to tell you that this is, even just in that little opening panel you get here of the introduction to Two-Face and as he goes through the story, this is probably one of the more violent versions of Two-Face. Like, Holy hell. He has, has to like, take a, a line from the book. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. That's delivered by, by Robin. But it's this is a totally unredeemable. And this is mm. probably got to be shortly after his transformation into Two-Face where he is, lack of a better word, he is pissed off like to to no end I, yeah <laughs> this is just uneasy is the wrong word but i was unsettling. like unsettling yeah I mean, it's interesting to go from the creepy but goofy looking mad hatter to the 100 percent goofy killer moth to go to this two-face yeah what is interesting to me as i was reading this is that the the combination of the tone and the writing and the art, most importantly, does a really good job of kind of coalescing all of this. And and even mm-hmm. though it's it's really interesting, like the the book has this. I'm obviously struggling with words a lot this morning, but it's got this <laughs> deceptive, sweet nature to it in terms yeah. of oh, it's like a throwback of like the Robin of the you know, fifties and stuff. But the but but this story has a lot of edge to it. Especially yeah, yeah. in the interpretations of characters, and Two Face is probably the most explicit example of that. Where he is, this is one of the most brutal versions of Two Face I've yeah. read, and th- this probably goes up there with some of the other ones that we've seen 
in things like Prodigal or even No Man's Land or even Gotham Central and stuff. Mm, like, good I would yeah. put him right up there with this in terms of what he does. Yeah, it's not as maybe super realistic or graphically violent, but it kind of is. And the things that he does, like, they don't pull any punches in this book. No. Um, and there's even more moments of what you don't see makes it worse. But yeah. you do see a lot <laughs> in this book. <laughs> and they don't they don't shy away from making Two-Face, a, like you said, an, a, just an irredeemable, a horrible villain in this. Yeah, to the point where, you know, it's... Well, Batman wants to rehabilitate the villains, and you go, you know, oh, Mr. Freeze, all he's trying to do is save his wife, and that's why he's acting out the way that he is. Yeah. And, and maybe with the right, you know, program that Gotham can do, that he can be redeemed, where this is somebody that you would just go, this dude needs to go to the gas chamber right now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> And like you get really into that in the courtroom scene where... You know, he's got the the judge and the jury and like, okay, they're all probably dolls or mannequins and where he's, you know, flipping the coin and then you get the uh, Terrence had to uh, bug off here for uh, for family reasons. But there is like, is there a Batman Forever reference right in this book where we're in the courtroom scene and you see Batman leaping up over <laughs> up right. over the uh, the courtroom as Harvey Dent gets uh, sprayed with the acid but when it comes time to give the fate of the judge that was there in the courtroom and Harvey unmasks the executioner, so to speak, oh, this this yeah. dude has been dead for for a while. Yeah. And Javier's like his pencil work, like as going, Oh, this book is so so nice to look at. And you have like a muted color tone palette that fits really well with like what a Darwin Cook would do. And, and then bam, you see, you see the, the kind of like gruesome stuff that you're like, oh. Yeah, yeah. So, and the other moment where well, once you kind of see this and you start going down the rabbit hole of how unredeemable Two Face is when he's on the roof of the building and he's going to throw the one of the twins off and you just go, okay, clearly that's, that's not a, that's not a real baby. And you're kind of led to believe like, no, this, this SOB just threw a kid off of a roof and you go, okay, it's not, but this is, I wouldn't put uh, it past this version of two face. No, not at all. The moment at hand, the very thing that we were talking about and whatever episode number Rob is going to find as he digs through the, the homework, and the audio will be in here somewhere of us talking about this is here's where we are lifting where Dixon lifts this story idea right out of the book where you have Batman and forget who the other individuals at the moment are both tied up by nooses and their Robin's going to have to choose who lives, who dies. And yeah. so it, it is tweaked a little, a little bit here. Yeah. I was noticing that I was, I was just going through that Robin issue on DC universe as we were talking so I believe if I've got my, I don't lose my place here as I pull up the actual real issue here. This is, it's done with him getting slapped around, I believe, by Two-Face. Yeah, where he ends up just taking the punches because Robin knows, at least in, in the earlier incarnation in 1994, that Robin is taking these punches by Two-Face knowing that Batman is going to get out of it, and he just has to withstand mm -hmm. a little bit longer. So I don't know if that's telegraphed really well here or 
Dick is going to take, he's willing to die because he's not going to choose. So it, while it does start with him getting punched and kicked, like once the baseball bat comes out, I'm like, am I watching The Walking Dead right now? Like, oh, th- yeah. This, being the Robin fan, uh, and even just a fan of Batman in general, this this was a hard scene to, you know, I knew we, we have, you know, two more books to go through that Robin was going to come out winning, but this this was a rough one. And then kind of what transpires after this. So what, what was your, from what we read to this, what was your take on how Dixon changed what his initial floated idea was? Yeah, it's, I kind of wondered if it was like he changed it because of the story or changed it because he was able to do more or go further out there because this was a not a monthly book or something, you know, right. like in terms of the hard edge thing. But it kind of works both ways because you can kind of read that Robin issue with the flashback as like, well, either this is Dick's interpretation of it and what happened in Robin Year One is what really happened, or or um, in your headcanon you could be like, well, the whole issue, Dick is kind of not really wanting to tell Tim, like, the full right. story and everything. So he's kind of, even in the flashbacks that we see, it's not exactly the full story or whatever. And then, and then we get to read the full story. So that's kind of a cool thing. It, it works both ways. Yeah. I'm glad that this was in a trade that I could just read it in, in one setting. And this would have been kind of heavy to end the issue on. And it ends yeah. with Batman carrying a... I mean, Ooh. and how sim- symbolic and just... Things that we've seen in Batman lore over and over again. Batman holding the body of a, a beaten a Robin. Yeah. yeah. And him saying, Alfred, he's dying. I would have been like, man, uh, December needs to get here really quick because I want to read the next issue. So do you have any other thoughts for issue two before we hit three? Yeah. The, the over, my overall thought was just like reading it. I was pretty surprised that this happens in issue two. Same here. Based on what we read in the the Robin series issue, I just assumed that this was the climax of the entire book. That yeah, like everything yeah. would have built up to this confrontation with Two Face, but it happens like pretty much right away in or you know, right at the early midpoint in the overall arc of this book. And I was like, Oh wow, where's the where's it gonna go from here? Because yeah. it's almost like there's gotta be like more resolution or like there's there's like gonna be a rematch, like a like another. There's there's more to this story than just this, and I was and that that frankly got me even more excited because I was like, oh well, I've already read the other book, so I know how this turns out. But now, what the hell happens after this? You know. Yeah. So let's just get into issue three. So like I said, this came out in December of 2000 initially in the uh, single issues, and then it was collected in 2001, like Terrence said, in the. Uh, in the trade, full collected trade. Robin, year one, book three. Captain James Gordon interrogates Two-Face and learns that Robin might be dead. So Gordon tells his men to look at hospitals and search for a dead body. But Robin is not dead yet. After some first aid by Alfred, he is then brought to Dr. Tompkins, a free medical clinic who has the trust of Bruce Wayne. While Robin is being taken care of, Batman goes to talk to Gordon himself. He assures Captain Gordon that Robin is still alive, but will no longer act as Batman's partner, of course. Dick Grayson is less than enthusiastic as he learns of Bruce's decision to retire him. Over the following days, Dick works hard on the rehabilitation of his body. As Dr. Tompkins makes some final tests using the equipment from the General Hospital, Mr. Freeze enters the building and raids the hospital's blood banks. 
Dick secretly follows him outside and picks up some clues which might lead him to Mr. Freeze's hideout. When Dick leaves a written message for Bruce, Mr. Freeze tries to blackmail the city because in winter the blood reserves tend to diminish quickly. Dick successfully finds Mr. Freeze and is able to defeat him right before Captain Gordon arrives. Dick confirms that his days as the vigilante are over and he has left the mansion and indicates that he will never come back. In front of a TV store, Dick watches that Two-Face was able to escape the prison station. Suddenly, he is surrounded by some teenagers wearing black clothes. They attack him, and Dick shows off his martial arts skills. A man who calls himself Shriek comes out of the shadows and invites Dick to become one of his pupils. This starts right off in the interrogation room, and this is something that I think don't think we touched on it the last time Batman and Robin jumped off the roof at police headquarters. Gordon says, basically, if something happens to the kid, you know, he's yeah. not going to be able to to sanction what Batman's done. He's got the full weight of the law enforcement on it. So when Gordon's holding the, the bloodied bat in his hand, it's wrapped in the plastic bag or whatever. And Dent is just basically saying... Oh, was that what know, that is? Because I, I, I wonder the whole time, I was like, what is this on the bat? It's like a weird... It's like, is this like a like a MMO aura like, or something is emanating something? Yeah, it, it wasn't until... Because it's evidence. I get it now. Yeah, it's in the evidence bag. So it wasn't until Gordon runs out of the door and he says, but right now I want to do nothing better than send him straight to the gas chamber. So when he's holding on to the bat right there, I'm like, oh, it looks kind of yellowish. So I believe that's probably in a bag. And uh, so anyway, he's heading up to turn on the bat signal waiting for for Batman to arrive, which isn't going to come. So Leslie Tompkins in this, Mm -hmm. I think, is another good character, exploration that Dixon is going into. And disdain's the wrong word. I can't think of the word. Her displeasure of like, okay, she obviously knows Batman and Robin, and she's got this kid. So everything's kind of converging on Bruce in a way that Alfred has been saying, you know, is this right that we're doing by Master Grayson? Right. Gordon has pointed that out, and now here's Leslie right. pointing this out and saying, "Hey, I, I don't even have the tools available to do this." So, what did you think of her interaction with Bruce? And uh, I guess essentially Dixon's uh, writing of Leslie. Yeah, like I was saying earlier, it just um, it highlights all those things you were saying uh, uh, that, and is a good counterpoint to Alfred because Alfred is like well, I have to go along with this, and he's the one that sees it on a day-to-day basis. But Leslie is the one that really only sees things when there's bigger problems like this. And she's like, mm-hmm. what the hell have you done to this <laughs> child, you know? And so Bruce has to dump him off on Leslie to fix him and leave, you know? Yeah. And she's just like, well, what are you doing, you know? So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 kind of the thing where it's like, man, Batman, you better um, you better figure this out. Nothing better happen to this kid. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I think it's always one of those that when we're reading Dick Grayson's stories, they never really go into like at the time Jason Todd was coming around, like the worst thing I think that ever really happened to Dick was getting shot by the Joker in the arm. And at like age 19, Batman saying, "Okay, you can't be Robin anymore. So reading something like this, that something this horrific has happened to Dick Grayson early on. You would think it would start formulating that rift between Batman and Robin, but it's actually having the opposite effect that Dick knows, like, yeah, something like this was probably going to happen, but you need me more now than ever. So when he gets sidelined, it's like the best thing for Dick 
would be to Bruce go, okay, we, you had a bad stumble and fall. We got to be more cautious when you go out. He sidelines him and actually pushes him into more danger because Dick feels like the purpose that he had, he doesn't have anymore and winds up in his uh, next scenario with uh, Mr. Freeze, mm-hmm. which ironically saying like, hey, we'll do this for a Christmas episode. I was pleasantly surprised to go, hey, we can kind of tie this in and say, well, it happens during Christmas. So uh, what do you think of how Dick's, Dick's motivation has changed from one of being partnership to now one of being, being a lost soul? It's one of those kindred spirits things, right? That's why Batman and Robin tend to work together because they do have those common shared experiences. And this issue, I think, is a good exploration of that. We've saw a little bit of it in issue one with with him just taking down the Mad Hatter by himself as Robin. But this one gets a little bit more into the idea of why Dick Grayson is doing this, not just to be you know, the happy-go-lucky foil to Batman. He It makes it forces him to be to be like, well, if I'm not going to be with Batman or if I'm not going to be Robin with Batman, it's like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And, mm-hmm. and he just has this compulsion to help people and do good with the skills that he has. And, and you definitely see that in full force. It's just a good character exploration of, of who Dick Grayson is and what his, what drives him. And, Getting that right and seeing that in comics is... I don't think we see that as much as we could. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a hard... Dick Grayson's a tricky character, because even... It's hard to get him written right. Like, even... Especially when he's... At times in modern comics where he's Batman, or when he's Nightwing, or when he's, you know, Rick Grayson, or whatever the crap. You know, like, it's, it's hard. And so, seeing that explored in this period of Dick Grayson's tenure as Robin, you see even less... So that makes the novelty of it even even that much better, and it just you know it's also really well written too. So it's a really good pause or story shift after something so heavy that happens in issue two. Yeah, and even the letter that Dick writes. This is I guess it's time for me to move on. I'm not supposed to. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do if I'm not allowed to help anymore. Alfred doesn't need to worry about entertaining me and take care of me. So you don't want a partner. And you don't need a son, which is one of those like he's he's already kind of felt like he's he's lost twice. And you know, I'm sorry I failed you. I won't forget everything you've given me. So he's going to go out on his own. And who does he end up meeting up with the League of Assassins? I I wasn't expecting to see that. So what did you yeah. think of that inclusion? Yeah, that end? was that was the, probably the last thing that I expected to see in in this book. Like the the each issue because at that point, like each issue featuring kind of a major Batman villain was kind of my expectations. Like, oh, Mad Hatter. Oh, Two-Face. Oh, yeah. Mr. Freeze. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, okay. Like, I, I wasn't expecting the the issue four to kind of go into that. But it kind of reminded me a lot of the original Tim Drake Robin miniseries that Dixon did, where he yeah. has his training. It's kind of like that, where he's already been Robin, he's been with Batman, but now what does he do? And And... He's going rogue. He's doing his own thing, but he's still trying to do something with his life and and, and stuff. But and it gets in over his head. But he's gonna make the best of it with his skills, and maybe he can make a difference. And what happens in this issue with him? Like I think we've even read other Tim Drake stories like this, where he's kind of infiltrated other groups or pretended mm-hmm. to be like a ninja or or somebody like 
Yeah, he, he's, yeah, he's got his Alvin Draper alias and stuff. Like it's <laughs> he's done that whole thing before, so it's it's cool to see that trope explored with the original Robin too. Just to see, like you know, because you question as you read it, it's like okay, is Dick does he know what he's doing? You know, is he is he really going to the dark side or is he just exploring this or seeing if he can like make a difference from the inside or and I think he doesn't even know. And a lot of this, and so I think as the reader, you're kind of going along that journey with him. So it wasn't what I was expecting to have a League of Assassins in here, but the way that everything comes together at the end was really satisfying because at the start of issue four, you're like, oh yeah, you have the you you've got to resolve the Two Face stuff, you've got a League of Assassins, and then then you start to have this callback to the the character you saw at the very beginning of the story. You're like, oh yeah, they got to resolve that too. So how how's all this stuff gonna converge and it does so yeah so january 2001 this issue for the finale of robin year one is released the fourth and final book for robin year one dick's new mentor turns out to be none other than shriek a member of the league of assassins responsible for contracts in gotham city under the name freddie lloyd dick continues to train alongside shriek's other teenage mercenaries Eventually, Shriek reveals that their genuine job will be the assassination of Two-Face. Shriek's people successfully find and invade Two-Face's latest hideout, but are stymied by Two-Face himself, who takes one of them hostage. Dick is once again dared to flip for an innocent life, but refuses. It causes Two-Face to fly into rage, allowing Dick to knock him off balance and steal his gun. Unable to stomach the cold-blooded murders, Dick spares Two-Face and flees leaving his wounded victim vowing for revenge. Dick briefly returns to the Batcave and reports his findings in another letter, causing Batman, along with Two-Face, to scour the city for Shrike. Eventually, all parties converge inside Shriek's hideout, sparking a three-way battle that kills Shriek and gravely injures Batman. Upon finding himself outnumbered, Two-Face flees while Batman reconciles with Dick. In the following days, Dick returns to Wayne Manor and is allowed to continue as Robin, on the condition that he is never again to question Batman's orders. Dick agrees, and shortly thereafter, the reinstatement of Robin finally brings Two-Face to justice. And like you said, Joseph Joe Minetti, which was a character going clear back to the very beginning that's in the cell, that's kind of pulling all of these threads of trying to take down Two-Face and hiring Shrike here to basically go out and uh, contract for hire. Mm-hmm. And uh, before we get to that, I was not expecting, and you, we had talked about it earlier, the little two-page cameo with the Joker I thought was quite funny that you know, Batman just miraculously appears in <laughs> in the Joker's cell and he pulls the mm-hmm. uh, chair up. And I like the, as Batman is <laughs> is walking out of the cell, he's like, oh, hey, he's unbolted the chair. And the Joker's like... You don't want to know, you know, I, I had to eat those nuts and you don't want to know what I did with the bolts. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The little sprinkle of the Joker in this story is just perfect. Like he's yeah. not the focus. He's not the big threat. He's not the whatever. But it it's one of those things where it's like, it would the story feel complete without just a little hint of the, where the Joker is and what he's doing in this yeah. part of the story? Because clearly if there's Robin already in past year one, of course Batman's encountered the Joker, but it's it's led to believe that Dick Grayson 
it hasn't really and Batman hasn't really come up again across the Joker together yet. Or yeah. maybe it was very brief, like they're not enough for him to kind of figure it out. But um but yeah, just to see that get that little interaction was a, was definitely a uh welcome treat. You know, especially when he says when you catch up with Two Face, you know, tell him I called dibs, like hearing that the that Two Face got to take care of Robin first really kind yeah. of ticks off the the joker so and i'd be lying like when i got to this page i was like you know it's 2020 has been a heavy joker year with three jokers and joker war and everything i was like not that i'm i think i've been oversaturated with with joker this year as much as the the things that i've liked or had issues with i was like Oh, don't don't tie the Joker into the story and let him be pulling the the thread. So I was glad it was just mm. a, a a little mm. a little glimmer, like show us where the Joker is and we're in and out. And it is it is a two faced story. Yeah. So by this point, uh, if you haven't read it and the synopsis hasn't given it away, uh, Dick is out on his own and hasn't returned back to the cave. Like the holiday season, Christmas has come and gone. I'm assuming like New Year's they're also referring to or into the new year. And there's been no sign of Dick Grayson. And Alfred has been reaching out to like Haley Circus, which I thought was a, a nice little callback. But I think the frustrating thing for Alfred is that Bruce is still on the case and, and is appearing that not that he doesn't care that Bruce is just so flippant of he'll come back Alfred you know don't worry about it yeah and Alfred really kind of seems if he wasn't broken before after what happened to Dick now that Dick is gone I think Alfred is kind of at his wits end and this is what really started making me think I don't know if we are told here by this point that the letter is that he's been writing all these issues is something personal that he's not going to give out it's just a journal Mm -hmm. a document of kind of his day-to-day working with Batman and Robin. But at this point, I was like, oh, is this a letter to, like, Children's Service or the courts or whatever? So what did you think of Alfred during this point while Tim is doing his uh, training with the League? Yeah, when we um, talked about the Alfred stuff early on, I I I knew, like, okay, well, they're obviously setting something up. You don't... Dixon's such an accomplished writer. You don't, like, introduce a, a... thing like this without letting it lead to its own little ending. So I was fully yeah. expecting it to co- to come out to something, you know, pretty cool and poignant by the end. And, and it did. I, I wasn't really expecting it to have, like... Basically what happened was kind of what I expected. Like, I didn't think yeah. there would be some big, like, revelation of, oh, he's writing it to child services or he's doing this or whatever. Yeah. But, but, but the way they resolve it in the book I thought was really good. When Dick is training with the group of kids and they're on their little mission to infiltrate into the museum and get into one of the vaults or whatever, really felt like a, a Batman kind of thing to do. But as much as Dick is trying to learn from a, a new master, he's still not wanting to kill and looking out for one another's as they're slamming guards around. And even when one of his other quote unquote friends about knocks one of the vases off, he catches it. So some nice little moments for Dick oh, yeah, Grayson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, and that reminded me too of, of Tim Drake in terms of like when he's yeah. faking being somebody that's 
tough or macho or something, but later in the background, he's like making sure people don't die or making sure <laughs> he's cleaning up after everybody else's, you know, bumbling mistakes and stuff. That is totally a, I guess now we, we can call it a Robin trope, you know? <laughs> right. And I think in, I'm trying to remember what issue of Robin it was. Like there was a vase that was going to fall. I think Tim swoops oh, wow. in and, and picks up the vase from crashing to the ground. I think it was Stephanie that knocked it over. Hmm. I don't know if I'm going to be able to find that one or not, folks, but I'm pretty sure that something like that had happened. So, like we were, like we've been saying the whole time, like this, this is the issue where everything is wrapping up to the final end, where Two Face is hiding out one of the most obvious places. Was it 220, 220, like Double Street Lane? Double or Street or whatever. Like, you know, Two Face has no problem shooting dogs in this like double day yeah that's a, that's another one that was like geez this two face is just the worst <laughs> yeah and he's he's more he's more mad like well i'm gonna have to get a couple extra dogs and it's dick that ends up using the dog whistle and he's like hey i thought he was just gonna sedate him and nah, he just yeah. shot his two dogs like all right we're throwing pretend babies off we're beating <laughs> we're beating a 12 year old half to death but yeah. i this section where dick gets a chance to come up against two face and it's always eerie and unsettling when Batman is holding a gun and he has that moment of like, oh, I, I, I can't be doing it. But for Dick to be holding the gun, I think is, is even more off-putting. Like, Dick had that opportunity. And I like the way that it was colored. Um, and the pages aren't numbered here. I apologize. Where it's just a shot of Dick holding the gun, pointing at us, and the color palette is all red and muted red of mm. the anger that he's feeling mm -hmm. and quickly drops it and then returns back to the cave. So yeah. that kind of really hit that this is this is the slippery slope that Alfred had been talking about and being with the people that he's with, it would not have been, you know, out of the ordinary for Dick to just pull the trigger, even though Shriek had said, you know, we're not killing unless there's a purpose. So how did you feel about that scene with Dick? Yeah, I mean that is that's the emotional climax of the story, in my opinion, and mm -hmm. and the the way the moment is constructed. Like we, I was saying, like, oh, I thought the you know the earlier Two Face stuff would have been the climax, but no, like the way this happens is really good, and it says a lot about who Dick Grayson is and where he's come, and 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 like a warning of where he could go if he's if 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 he's not properly taken care of or take care takes care of himself and the art and the coloring here is just so good it's got minimal dialogue and mm -hmm. it's a it's it's probably one of the better best examples of the whole book but the whole book has this a lot like as stylized as things are the facial expressions and the eyes of eyes, all these yes. characters are so well done that you you really get like even even when people are wearing masks like even with like this is probably one of the best books i've seen with batman and robin i ex like shapes and expressions yes uh with the masks on with just the whites of their eyes like it's very 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 effective the way that that this works and um yeah so like that was a really powerful moment in this book even in the shadows where Dick had gone back to the cave, gets to meet up with Alfred and is writing the note and ends up taking back off and gets captured by the league when Batman enters after Dick has taken another beating, like seeing Dick get beaten around when he's asked like who he is. And ironically, the name that he chooses, Freddie Lloyd, his father's middle name is Richard Fred right. Grace, which I thought was a nice 
a nice call to his his parents, which, you know, if you don't pay attention by the end of the book, on the nightstand for Dick, there's a picture of his parents' wedding. They're married in the big top, and it lists, lists his middle name. But like you were talking about the whites of their eyes when they are fighting in the, which I'm assuming is a warehouse or wherever the league is operating out of when Batman comes in and says, his name is Robin. He's my partner. You don't see the whites of the eyes, but it's all the dark shadows that are still mm-hmm. emotive and everything. And this section, I love seeing when you can, when an artist can draw in all darks and blacks and it works. It doesn't get lost or, yeah. or muddled at all. I think this section is really good with the, the fight that's going on between Batman, Robin, Emma League and Two-Face, that Two-Face has figured out who has put the hit on him, and Batman obviously has figured out what's going on. So I think this is... Mm-hmm. And again, Two-Face, it's kind of funny with his counterpart, basically, telling him, hey, shoot in short little bursts like this. You know, he ends up shooting... Uh, I was like, man, that's a... That's, I know, it's like... That's like a Tommy Lee Jones Two-Face moment. Yeah. <laughs> and he just like shoots him. I was like, I can see that 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 two face doing that. Yeah, definitely. Show me how to shoot a guy. <laughs> Point blank range, fire. Fire in short bursts. <laughs> so yeah, how this ends I think is is very poetic that it's after Shrick has basically Im- impaled himself by A getting shot, falling from the rafters, landing on his his own scythe and right. them capturing Two Face. That Dick's first reaction is to go to Batman, say you're bleeding. Says eh, it looks worse than it feels, and Dick's like, "Really?" Batman says, "No," alluding like, "Okay, yeah, but th- this kind of does hurt." It hurts, yeah, yeah. And this, and then re-emphasizing the the oath that he took, and Bruce kind of laying down the law, like. You know, and, and I think it's also fitting. He says, "I want you to be a good soldier," which I know the, that that moment was, got me. I'm like, yeah. "Oh man, they're like enhancing the Dark Knight Returns in this book yes. too." Like, what yeah. the heck? And it it makes sense and it works. Like, this is great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, unexpected, but like, what a great little end note for this that explains or adds extra context to the Batman Robin dynamic. Yeah. Ooh. Dynamic. Dynamic. Ooh. It's almost a duo there. But saying, like, you know, never again question my orders. And this is even if it means watching you die. Yes. So we know that Robin's going to will push the boundaries from time to time. Mm-hmm. But the the little call call outs and the little shout outs, like you said, having Barbara Gordon show up on the roof. And seeing Batman and Robin there, and the or little seeing more... just Robin for the first time, I thought that yeah. was great. And I forgot to mention too, there is like a after um, Robin defeats Blockbuster earlier on, they they have like a little callback, call forward to foreshadowing for for Bane. You know, Chuck Dixon couldn't oh, uh, yeah. not put a Bane reference in there, but having that in here, I was like, ooh, that's cool. You know, <laughs> yeah. So you could tell that from '94 to 2000, this was something that I think Dixon was probably thinking of and taking little notes. And again, it would have been great to like, Dixon, if you're listening, I just want to release a book of all of your ideas. Like what? Gosh, that would just be a a treasure trove of endless possibilities. But (laughs) I like that Robin, you know, Dick is looking at Barbara and Gordon's like, don't even think about it. (laughs) You know, boy wonder, but who shows up? And I can't keep forgetting 
the other uh is it Carl, I believe? Not Carl. Um whoever Dick's friend was in right. in the league shows up in front of Talia Al Ghul. Like Is that who that is? Yeah. Yeah. So I was looking at DC fandom here. So this uh, Yeah, I was wondering, I was like, do we see this character again? Like is this yeah. is this important? I, Talia Al Ghul makes a cameo uh, bringing in one of the fallen members of Shrike's uh, League of Assassins because everybody else from this sect of a League of Assassins is gone. So we bring in Talia Al Ghul into this. Yeah. And then, like it says, it ends with a newspaper clipping of Two Face being apprehended by the mysterious duo. And I kind of like that, that Batman and Robin are both, you know, still in that urban legend of Batman and Robin. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Alfred just hoping that uh, Batman and Robin can get some sleep and get back to some type of, of normal days. So I thought this was, when you come across books like this that are this dense but good, I always end up kind of kicking myself and go, I've had this book yeah. literally for a year. I got it almost a year ago, whenever this episode is released. I got it for Christmas from my wife and it took a year to read this book and I'm kind of kicking myself. So I have one half of this book to read being the Batgirl book. So I'm not going to wait another year. So as we're opening gifts and taking those few little moments to sit around the tree and I want something to read, I think I'm going to read Batgirl year one because this team, I think, really knocked it out of the park uh, with this. And like uh, Terrence had said earlier, this is not it's a it's more of a, a lost gem something that just kind of slipped through the cracks and i don't think it, it's getting the tension that i think it probably needs so uh what are your uh final thoughts of uh of this book and uh, how how does it like i know it's kind of hard to rank a book that reading it just once but uh what do you think about it it is hard usually hard to rank books and i usually don't like to rank a book or say where its yeah. place is or whatever after reading it for the first time. But for this one, I'm not afraid to do that because <laughs> reading it, I was like, I was, yeah, I was exactly like, like you were saying, I was like, man, why haven't I read? This is amazing. This is good. And, yeah. uh, I'm not a sh- afraid to say that after reading this book, this, this deluxe edition, that this is a, this is a stone cold classic. Like this is yeah. a classic right off the bat. Like, the way it explores the relationship between the characters, the way that it feels timeless and mm, does That's a things. perfect word. Yeah, it, it, the, the art, the tone, the character exploration, the, the dialogue, it's well written. Like, everything in this book is just a really well done. And, and the fact that it's something that you could hand anybody that's at any yeah. level of Batman fandom would, would be able to read this and get something out of it, I think just makes this book kind of earn a spot on <laughs> like any bat shelf in terms of something that's essential to read. Like I you know, I don't say that lightly and, and mm, I don't get no. that feeling from from many books after reading it for the first time. But this one is is one of those. And yeah, so I could not recommend this book highly enough. So, uh, Terrence, what are your uh, final thoughts for Robin Year One? And is this something that should wind up a little higher on the bat shelf as, I don't know, maybe required reading? You know, should this be looked at a little bit more fondly than rather than a hidden gem? Yeah, I feel like it should. I wondered, you know, since this came out in 2001 and everybody knows what happened September 11th, 2001, 
I wondered if maybe mm-hmm. it got a little lost in the shuffle. Overlooked. With, mm-hmm. Yeah, with all of that. Uh, I know that time period as well, comics were kind of sales-wise and things were, were very flat and down, so maybe just a lot of people were not into comics at the time. It's definitely a great companion piece for Batman Year One. I think it, they the art style and the, the theme and the feel of it and the, that world that they're in flows fluidity haha nice. flows flows very nicely especially with like you know, like the dark victory stuff and and then the year one so yeah i do feel like it's i don't feel like it's disrespected or you know under appreciated i just feel like it's it's overlooked like people don't even mention it good or bad yeah. and part of that could be too is that chuck dixon wrote like thousands and thousands <laughs> of stories so it's hard you know to encompass all of them and one thing I did really like about it too, and it, it it might not, we might not see a lot more of this, is it is that that Robin in the pixie boots and the pixie costume and stuff. You know, a lot of mm-hmm. the Dick new uh, year one Dick Grayson stuff that's come out in the last ten years or so, he's basically wearing a modified Tim Drake costume. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's kind of cool to see the classic, you know, original costume. And I don't know if we'll get that many more stories in that costume as well either so yeah overall it 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 deserves a second look by fans yeah there you go and and we've been saying it through this whole thing i think right even in the first few pages of reading the book i was already thinking like this is something special and i don't normally swear on the show but i'm like damn it i i should have read this back in 2000 when it was coming out i remember seeing it on the shelf and i I don't know whatever it was. I mean, it had Dixon's name on it. I I was buying a lot of Dixon stuff um, during this time period. So for me mm-hmm. to get it in a trade um, through those first couple pages, I was just like, this this feels like it's something special. Like, yeah. I, I don't want to go to like something modern, like you know, Three Jokers, what how people thought about it. Like, think people wanted to say like, oh, this this is going to be a tops on the on the bookshelf for the year. I was I was thinking this by page two early on, like I didn't know how I was gonna feel by the end of it, but just in the in the presentation and the writing and I think just the way the book looks mm-hmm. and you said it earlier, it was this timeless feel. It made me harken back to Batman the animated series. It's it's of a time and it kind of just kind of fits in that this is a, a great evergreen book that you could pick up off the shelf absolutely and and just read at any given point and it's going to be new and it's fresh and we've only pulled out a few little references that are in here and I, there's a few more when you mentioned the thing about Bane I had totally I totally didn't even see that when I was going through it the first time so if Ryan Lauer isn't listening to this show I and know if, <laughs> and if Ryan and I don't try and be the first to get to the Batman book club. Like, I, I, I got a book. I got a book. So yeah. I, I hope somebody out there says, you know, Lauer, you ought to read this book. And I hope one of his guests picks it up. Because this, it's, even it, though it's not Batman, Batman, you're one, but, but man, like, it, this book deserves the, the attention. Yeah, especially when you're, you go to, you have Batman year one, then you have Batman year two. That's where you it starts dividing going, it doesn't really kind of feel like a successor Mm. to Batman year two. Mm -hmm. And as much as we love Batman year three, it's kind of by name alone. Mm. If this was titled Batman year three or 
you know, year two, and even though it is a, a year three story, mm-hmm. I would go, yes, thematically, it fits right in with year one in, in its presentation. You don't have the, the timestamp going on, but you do have the constant narration through the whole story from Alfred. So I think it really kind of mm-hmm. ties that in. So I think this is like high praise from, from both of us. This is definitely a Christmas present if you haven't gotten one for yourself this year. Check this book out. Buy it in the deluxe edition. Is there is there anything in the deluxe edition, like a little extras or anything like that, or is it? Yeah. Just... So so you don't have the deluxe edition yet. Do no, you? I just have the the trade of Batgirl and uh, Robin Year One. Okay, after reading this, do you, do you think you'll get the deluxe edition? I think I probably will. It's it's gorgeous. Yeah, there's not a lot of extra stuff, but the back does have a sketchbook section, and it's gorgeous. Like you see oh, wow. all these really nice sketches, and you get to see like what other characters would have looked like that aren't in the book. Like, you see some Catwoman. You see, really? Yeah, there's, like, a little bitty... Um, like, you see, like, a Man Who Laughs inspired-looking Joker. There's um, some cover sketches and stuff. There's even, like, a little hint of, uh, like, Dead Man. And I don't know if that was, like... Really? If that, uh, yeah, it was like, oh, I wonder if, like, he was ever considered to be in the book or planned to be in the book at some point, which would have been maybe a little interesting, but... Yeah, uh, but yeah, like it's it's not a lot, but it's cool just to see the sketches. They're all in you know the the blue the blue line sketch stuff. A lot of head sketches and stuff, just all like scattered together. It's really cool stuff for sure. A little shout out to uh, a listener of the show, BJ Shea, had tagged us, the Batman Book Club, Jay Oz, and Holy Batcast, that he bought this just a few days ago, and he see got it half off. I'm wondering where he got it from, but uh, it looks like it's the it's a, a a raid a raid a red trade dress uh, with Robin with his cape. Yeah, building it's the up. Deluxe, so. It's the deluxe. It's really nice. It's really good. Yeah, so very cool. And it fits right on the shelf, you know, along with the other year one and year two deluxe edition. Man, like it's it, it's it's cool for sure. And it's the first time it's been in hardcover, which is probably another reason why the book doesn't have this perceived prestige that we thought. Like it's easy to overlook because it's not been like in a in a nice hardcover at all. Like. Yeah. It's been collected, I think. And yeah, like you've got what, the trade that's got both Robin and Batgirl ear yep. one in it together. I think that is a also a relatively recent book. Yeah, I'm but... trying to flip through to see the publication on this and it looks like it's a two two thousand thirteen is when this uh trade was mm. put together. So mm-hmm. this I mean this is thirteen years after the single issues came out. I mean, if you go back to you know, when issue one came out. So it's been recently collected. And then to get a hardcover, you know, some odd years later mm-hmm. is really kind of interesting. So that will officially end the our 80th anniversary episode and uh, the 80th anniversary for a year. So big thank you to everybody that has uh, participated this year and helped us move the show along next year in 2021. We're looking for a better year than 2020 was, but there's, as things have kind of come and gone this year, things we can and can't do, there have been a lot of bright spots throughout the year and just in things that we've read and different ways that we've we've done the year. So hopefully this puts a nice capper on the year for you. Thank you for listening to the show. And we'll be going full steam back into Batman Legacy and uh, wrapping that story up and seeing where 
Tim Drake's journey will take us. Uh, any final thoughts for the end of this year and uh, maybe what your holiday season is going to look like? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any more positive things I can say about this book. I mean, it's really good. Get it. I think this year's been just a big dumpster fire, but it's been, <laughs> right. it's been, it's uh, in more ways than one. You know, my 2019 also sucked. So yeah. hopefully 2021 will be better for a lot of people. But the good thing is, is that it's been, it's it, doing things like this show has been a really nice thing to be able to yeah. do to kind of like zone, tune out the rest of the world and, and read, uh, <laughs> read some Batman comics. That's been fun. Yeah. So yeah, like Christmas should be pretty chill this year, but you know, I've got the Batman tree. I've actually had my Batman tree up since March. When all this nuttiness happened, I was like, ooh, I'm going to make myself feel better. And I put up the Batman tree and I'll take it down when this is over, but it's not over. So the Batman tree is still <laughs> up. So so I was slightly prepared for, for the holiday season already. So, uh, but yeah, so I can't wait to... Get get into the new year and and keep going with with what we're doing and, and and jump back into legacy because that's that's been fun too. Yeah. So have a happy holiday season, however you uh, celebrate it, and uh, thanks for helping with the uh, distraction of uh, 2020. Thanks for listening to the show, and we will see you guys next year. On the behalf of Terrence, this is. Ryan and Rob saying happy holidays and Merry Christmas. We'll see you guys in 2021. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake podcast. This has been brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. Tim Drake, Robin, and all Batman related characters are under copyright of DC Comics. This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes, so no infringement is intended by this show. The show is not a good revenue stream. Actually, there's not a stream at all. All music and sound clips are under copyright by their respective copyright holders. So there should be no need to send the Penguin's lawyers after us for ill-gotten gains because there are none. You can get a hold of the show a few different ways. We are on Twitter at ELTD Podcast. You can also email in at RobinELTDPodcast at Yahoo.com. Our Facebook page can be found at www.facebook.com slash everyone loves the Drake. And as always, you can message directly over at thebatmanuniverse.net. So email, tweet, or message us. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll read your comments or responses on the show. The show you're listening to can be found a few different ways through iTunes and Windows Media. Also, over at our host, TBU. Leave us a review on iTunes if you listen there. It'll help spread the word of the show. Make sure you head over to thebatmanuniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Thanks for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We'll see you in a few weeks. Take care.